The Lodgecast Reboots. The Lodgecast Reboots. You're listening to The Lodgecast, the podcast about leadership, business, life, and growth with me, your host, George Andriopoulos. It's like food for your ears. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 143 of The Lodgecast Reboots. It is just shut up. You had me at, not hello, at Burblanc. Just shut up. You had me at Burblanc with Chef Allison Fasano. This was uh, a fun episode. Um, so like we do here at the Launchcast Reboots, we are rebooting our favorites. Uh, and we're doing some commentary before the episode so that you get some new content. Um, and so interesting thing with this episode was that we actually um, had a cancellation uh, last minute. So... Chef Allison was on my radar for later in the season, uh, but because we had just run through uh, TEDx Farmingdale, she was one of our speakers at TEDx Farmingdale. Uh, because we had run through TEDx Farmingdale together, we had developed, um, you know, good working relationship. I reached out to her and I'm like, "You gotta help me," and she's like, "Yeah, I'm all over it. I'm there." And you know, um, uh, I put a lot of preparation into these interviews, a lot of preparation. I mean, there is a ton of research that goes into each interview, um, framing the questions properly, uh, curating them in a way <laughs> in which we're telling a story. Um, it's so important to me, right, as a, uh, as a podcaster, as an interviewer, um, and as a leader, because I want to tell the story of leadership in these interviews and, you know, in order to do that, we want to talk about these unconventional journeys. And so I had a marathon race to get my research done. I, I stayed up so late the night before, but I, I got it done. I had this thing ready to go. And I honestly didn't know what to expect in terms of the interview. But, man, did we have a blast. We connected right away. We had great, great on-air chemistry and uh, we, we just had a blast, as you'll see in this uh, episode or here in this episode, if you haven't checked this one out yet. This was originally episode 110, um, but on the reboots, we are episode 143. Um, I, I met Chef early on um, because she was actually um, the executive chef at one of my clients' um, restaurants, which is uh, Harley's American Grill. She was the executive chef that opened up that place. And so we had gotten to know each other there. I knew that she was uh, had some TV appearances and stuff. And so we got to know each other um, a little bit through that. And then, of course, she, she became a speaker on TEDx Farmingdale and the rest was history. But man, I could never have planned for our chemistry to be just so great uh, on air. And it was hysterical. And she was so cool with me busting her chops and she would bust on herself, you know, talking about Celine Dion and all these uh, uh, these great references that she made throughout the interview. But the fact remains that she is an artist at her craft. Um, man, was she, uh, uh, she's, she's an incredible chef, first of all. I have had her food many times and uh, all I have to say is wow. And you could really tell in this interview that it comes from a deep place, her love of food. It comes from training, that she has gone all over the world training and, and trained with some of the greatest chefs out there. Um, so enough commentary. Check it out. Episode 143, right? 143. Launchcast Reboots. We'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. At this time, I'm going to ask the 
Launch sequence. Launch sequence activated. Launch sequence activated. Five, four, three, two, one. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the LaunchCast. Ooh, it's been a couple of weeks. Chills. Feels goosebumps. Episode 110 today. Thank you for coming back, guys. It's just shut up. You had me at Berblanc with our guest today, Allison Fasana. But before we bring her in... I got to do my intro, right? Because you guys all missed it. It's your favorite podcast intro. I am the launch dad himself, George Andriopoulos, bringing you your favorite podcast on the planet, talking about my favorite things. We're talking leadership, life, business, and growth. And we're talking about it all because it's my show and I'll talk about whatever I want to. With us today, we have Allison Fasano, Chef Allison Hey, hey. Hi, George. Thank you for being here with of us. Of course. Yeah, we're so excited to have you. I'm going to do the, the quick intro before we jump in here. Allison knew at the age of 11 years old that she wanted to become a chef after seeing the Food Network for the first time. She fell in love with communicating through food. She began cooking alongside her father, who inspired her to just say yes to opportunities, something we're going to be talking about today. A message she didn't fully realize until he passed away three years ago. Her passion and drive took her halfway around the globe to study culinary arts in Calabria, Italy, where she specialized in regional Italian cuisine, or what Allison refers to as Nona style. Food that tells you a story and gives you a hug on the inside. So much more, guys. Her passion and dynamic personality landed Allison in the most exciting culinary scenes in NYC, cooking alongside people she looked up to as heroes and now calls friends. Now, for the past 15 years, she has worked in Michelin star restaurants, including the Sagamore, Lydia and Joe Bastian. What is that? Tell me. <laughs> Tell me. Tell me. You say it. Uh, Bastianich. There you go. Thanks. Del Posto. And most recently, Gatto with Bobby Flay's team as a sous chef. In 2017, she joined Urbani Truffle as one of their resident chefs and a whole bunch of other projects. She is a TEDx speaker and has appeared on Food Network's Beat Bobby Flay, Chopped, Fios' Restaurant Hunters, and Newsday Feed Me TV. She was recently featured by ChefWorks in February 2019, and she just shot a TV show on the new Disney Pixar streaming network, Queeby. Stay tuned for details on that. Holy shnikes. That's a long bio. I mean, it's getting bigger, so. And you're only 29. I'm only 29. Holy crap. I'm making it to 30, George. Yeah. You are making it to very soon, and we're going to uh, talk about that yeah. <laughs> very, very soon. Um, thank you for being here. This is this is so awesome. It's a pleasure to have you uh, here. It's my pleasure. I never really get an opportunity to speak uh, very often. So, you know, when I do, I really take a full opportunity on to say stuff. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm happy to hear that because, um, you know, you and I have, have – uh, talked about this a little bit, but um, you know the speaking world and and what people do on it, whether it's on a stage, on a podcast, or um, just kind of getting your voice out there and your message out there, it's really important. Uh, you and I um, met just because you were a chef here in town. Uh, I met you through a, a colleague of mine, and then subsequently 
uh, a little while after we met, you actually spoke on my stage at TEDx Farmingdale. Yep. And we were, we were so excited to have you. You talked about food waste, which I want you to get into a little bit later. Um, but you've been sort of taking this journey as a speaker and sort of using uh, the medium of food to get out there and spread some important messages. Uh, yeah, and if you would have told me like 10 years ago, someday you're going to be a public speaker, I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> Stop lying. <laughs> yeah, well, um, you know, it's, it's really a, a leader that can sort of transform what they do and their passion in life and turn it into a message for others. Um, and that's something I want to ask you right now. And that's really the first question that we ask all of our guests. Are you a leader? I think absolutely. Because I feel like my biggest thing is I'm very relatable, you know, like. I love some comedians and I'm like, oh, their jokes are funny because it's like relatable. Like you get it. I feel like I'm a very relatable person. And then somebody told me recently, they're like, Allison, I think people like you because you don't take yourself too seriously. And that's very, right. that's a very accurate statement. That right. person seems like they know me very well. <laughs> so I think that's why because I'm very rela uh, relatable and I'm very like elbows on the table type of a person, you know? Yeah. So what, it, what does that mean to you in terms of leadership? Like what is your definition of a leader? I think leadership, it doesn't matter where you are in your career. Sometimes if you could say or do something and people recognized, um, I think you have to show, not tell people what to do. Like it's like in a restaurant, um, whether I'm an executive chef or whatever my title is, I'm that one who sweeps them up the floor and takes out the garbage. And people are always like, why are you doing that? I'm like, yes, that's, that's how I work. Sure. You know, so I think that when you show and not tell people uh, what to do, I think that's you are a leader. It doesn't matter how old you are, what profession you are in, no matter what your level is, I think you could still um, inspire people because I think we all got where we are because somebody else inspired us. Yeah, you know, it's it's so interesting you say that. So number one is I love the, the, the thought of team leadership. Um, when you don't put yourself ahead of the team, you know, when you sort of go in there uh, to perform one goal together, a number of things happen. Number one is that you're leading by example, right, which is super important. And number two is you're actually helping to lift other people as you lead. You know, if they're as vested in the work, right, if it's not all, hey, this is my kitchen, and although you guys are going to cook for me, I'm the one that's going to get the glory. It's we got the glory as the kitchen. Yeah. You're going to elevate them. Absolutely. That line cook is going to become a sous chef, is going to become absolutely, an executive yeah. chef. I'm sure that's how it happened for you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So it's about taking, like, you have to take one step. Like, you have to learn how to walk first. And I think that's in all um, careers. Like, you have to, like, start at the bottom. And it's always about earning your stripes yeah. and gaining uh, respect by people that are in your profession. Right. So I think that's what's really uh, important. And I might be 29, but I feel like I've done a lot in my career so far. And I continue to always do and go out and do more bigger and better stuff. I'm always like, what can I do next? Yeah. Um, to me, the, the sign of a leader, honestly, I've never been a believer in you know, age needs to hold you back or, or even having a, a college degree needs to define what you do um, for a living or, or your success in life. Because when you kind of have that ability, when you have that, um, I don't know, that built-in leadership, although I do think that leadership is, is learned a lot of times from experiences, when you sort of have that innate reflex built into you, it kind of helps you along in the process, you know, throughout life and, and, and gets you... Um, to that point eventually where, where that leadership will start to shine, whether you're 29 or 69, yeah. you know. Um, so I want to talk about one thing before we jump into uh, 
the order of events here. We always start sort of from baby Allison and we work up to 29, just shy of 30, Allison. That's okay. how we do things here. But one thing I want to address first, since we're talking about leadership, we're talking about public speaking. Um, I've been reading in my research about you about your mantra. Um, you do you do a fair amount of public speaking now, and I'm sure that's going to increase uh, as the years pass uh, and your experience um, builds. But this whole say yes to every opportunity mantra, I love this thing. We had a mutual colleague that told me about your keynote at the Athena um, Long Island Leadership Awards, and I love the message that you sent out. So tell us about that message of say yes to every opportunity and, and sort of where that came from and how you apply it. Uh, yeah, so um, like growing up, my father always used to say, you know, if you don't put yourself out there, no one will know you exist. So I never knew what that actually meant to after he passed away. I knew it meant to say yes to opportunities. Because he used to say, you know, no one's going to go out and I always wanted to have my own TV show and be on the Food Network. And he was like, you know, no one's going to come to you and be like, here's your show. You have to like go out and get it. And, you know, start saying yes. So when I started saying yes, I realized how many doors that has opened. And sometimes we all, I think sometimes I say yes, and I'm like, I don't know how to do that. But I figure it out later. So yeah. I think that's what, <laughs> what you have to do. So I think he definitely inspired me to say yes to, you know, opportunities. And, you know, sometimes we're always, I think you're afraid to say yes. I think people are afraid to say yes. I think it's fair to say, you know, anything new that you're about to jump into. But when you say yes, you realize, like you don't know who's watching, you don't know who's going to be there, what connections you're going to make. And somebody might look at you and be like, oh, you know what? You'll be great at this. Right. You know, like I did, I said yes to doing the TED Talks. I remember being like, why am I doing a TED Talk? Or, you know, I said yes to Jen when we did the, um, you know, Athena Awards. And I remember getting to the Athena Awards and being like, why am I giving the speech on leadership? Like, why am I here? Like, why am I doing this? And then, you know, you say yes, you do your speech, and then people are like, well, that inspired me. Or, you know, people even reaching out after this and being like, I loved your message, and somebody asked me to do something, and I said yes because of what you said. And I'm like, you know, that's all about saying yes. I feel like, you know, I think we're afraid, but this, this it's like going in a pool. You just have to go in head first. Well, that's that's the effect of leadership, right? In, in essence, in that when you when you put yourself out there, uh, leadership to me is all about just standing up and say, "Okay, I'll do it. I'll be the one." Right? Yeah. Uh, and so when you get up there and just tell people how you got to some kind of success, and that can rub off on one person, mm -hmm. that's a huge deal. I, I put a post up yesterday, a social media post. Um, I'm getting into my own speaker season now for the next few months I have a bunch of things that's booked. my favorite season George it, speaker season I think that's everybody it's it's like baseball football speaker season it's winter yes it's winter speaker season spring yeah summer. <laughs> yeah it's my favorite I think everybody who's listening is like that's my favorite <laughs> Speaker so season. I, I put a post up um, about this, uh, uh, talking about the the responsibility that it takes to to be a leader and to be on a stage, and I sort of I, I put out this thought of, you know, when I get up on a stage, my I have this inner thought of like, hey, you know, I, I know that I'm helping at least one person yeah. with this talk, and if I've helped one person at every talk that I've done. That's a lot of people. What if I help five people, 10 people, 100 yeah. people at every talk? You know, so that's really creating a lot of change. So I definitely, um, I think you're doing a, a great job so yeah. far at, at this age, and I, I can't wait to see what more you do. Yeah, and I also think that when you do, like, whether you do a speech or you could have a, you don't have to be on a stage or a platform, right. but when you talk to somebody, sometimes somebody would say something today, and, like, 10 years down the road, you're like, oh, I that's what this person meant by this. Yeah. Like you finally, it like clicks. It clicks. So you remember 
what they said. I, yep. Like, I remember people said things to me, and I'm like, I don't get what that means. I remember a chef told me once, you know, Allison, you can bend the tree when it's young, not when it's old. And I was just like, you know, at the time, I didn't know what that meant. And then, like, as I got older and, you know, moved on in my career, I remember seeing these kids straight out of culinary school, and you could be like, we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. And, like, they absorb everything like a sponge, and then I was like, oh, this is what this means. Like, you can mold them, like, when they're young, and then, you know, to however you want and train them and teach them stuff. So I was like, that's what he meant. Did that have a, uh, an effect on you later in life? Kind of. It did, because I say that all it? the time, and then people think I made that. Out. <laughs> so people are like, wow, Allison, you have a lot of great. I was like, I didn't make that up, but they don't need to know. Like that. you're but like now the, everybody just knows I didn't make that thing up. So you're like the Yoda of the culinary world. I mean, you drop a knowledge tree bombs when it's young, not <laughs> when it's old. Um, yeah, those are those are something we talk about in the show uh, a lot. We talk about spark moments, the, these moments in life where sometimes you realize in the moment, and sometimes you don't realize until later on. But it's these moments where you you kind of look back and you understand. And you go, yeah, that was that was pivotal for me. Just learning that bit of knowledge or experiencing what I experienced that was pivotal to my growth. As Absolutely, a person. you know, I think that's, I think you know, like majority of the times when I talk about something, you have to remember, like I cook, I work in the food business, so everything's like relatable to that. But I feel like some topics you could, it's in every career, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's get to the fun stuff here. Okay. We're gonna we're gonna, go. we're gonna talk about the journey here. We're gonna start in Williamsburg, Brooklyn which was probably not as gentrified as it is now no. when you live there. No, so I was yeah. born and raised in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. That's why, you know, I talk a little different than everybody else. That's okay. <laughs> we were just Sometimes talking about... Sometimes I need a translator. We were just talking about before the show, my, my Long Island, what do you call it, a drawl, an accent? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That that gives you a little character. I uh, like that. Yeah, it does. I know I mispronounce a lot of words, and uh, a lot of times I tend to like mumble and then I was like or I talk really fast so like doing like public speaking I've learned to kind of simmer down a bit <laughs> simmer down I turn the down pot some. down a little <laughs> the pot's just on simmer at this point <laughs> can't be on boiling so so little baby Allison running little baby around Allison. she's running around in a diaper and a do-rag <laughs> right? that's pretty accurate I mean <laughs> my mom sends you some baby pitch oh that would be great your now, mom is on by the way oh she is, is okay, that Debbie great. Debbie's on Debbie Debbie posted yeah. that your mom is watching. My mom probably, she wants to know if this will be over before The Young and the Restless starts. Twelve <laughs> thirty. <laughs> so, little baby Allison, do-rag in a diaper, yeah, running around, accurate. listening to Celine Dion. Listening to Celine Dion, yeah, Blasting right. it. My heart yeah. will go on. Yeah, so I actually loved Celine Dion since I was four years old. And people are like, that's so weird. I'm almost like, well, when my uncle got married, his wedding song was The Power of Love by Celine. Ah. So the next day when we went out, I begged my mom to buy me like the Celine Dion. At, I think at the time it was like a cassette. Yeah. And since then, I've just always loved Celine Dion. You're a Dion head since I'm then. A, I've been a Dion head, <laughs> rocking hardcore to Celine. But when you go to like a public school in Brooklyn and you're l listening to the latest Celine Dion album, you're not like the coolest kid in school. Yeah. You know so everybody saying? in Brooklyn's listening to Biggie. No, that's you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> I remember like listening to Celine Dion. Like the teachers loved my choice of music, but I'm sure the nobody, did. <laughs> nobody else did, and it was fine. So at that move, movement, and movement, I known that I was will be something special. Like I was a like stuff that nobody else likes, and it was fine. So Celine Dion made Celine you feel Dion, like you were special. Celine Dion made me feel <laughs> special. Like at did that you moment, I was just like. I'm going to like everything that nobody else likes. Did you make it hardcore to be a Dion fan? 
I mean, I actually have a Celine Dion tattoo. I think a lot of people know that. <laughs> oh my God. It I says, would My love heart to will go that. on. Yes. My is that real? Go, it is real. My heart will go on. That is amazing. Yeah. So we're going to end the show on that. Done. <laughs> uh, all right. So thanks for tuning in. Thank you. So Dion. Yep. And then and then we move on and then we move on to your love of food. So I read somewhere that you started watching the Food Network after school every day at 11 years old, and that's where that's where it all began. And right? that's where the magic happened. So um, actually, I never really watched the Food Network before. Like, also, like, what are you watching at 11? I mean, who's watching the Food Network? I mean, Allison is. Um, so My I'm kids not- love the food, food Network, by the way. Yeah, love it. Um, <laughs> So I was like flipping through the channels and I landed across um, this show and I was like, I couldn't seem to change channel. This person like had this great ability to let their walls down and let people in and they were such a great storyteller and they just always smiled the whole time. And that show was actually 30 Minute Meals with Rachel Ray. So I remember going to my dad, I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to be Rachel Ray. And he was like, you know, you're going to be better than Rachel Ray. And then that's kind of how the whole cooking journey started. So. I found my love of food and, you know, I didn't do, do very well in school because I was like at home watching the Food Network and <laughs> I think I would record shows like before there was DVR, I used to like put in a VHS tape and like record shows. Yeah. Yeah. It was like hardcore. That was you. you that had was a bunch my school. Of, you had a bunch of tapes labeled. A bunch of lineups. Food going. Network. Going. Everyday Italian season one, pop it in. <laughs> So, so talk to me about um, besides. Well, you, you could talk about the Food Network too, but talk to me about your cooking influences um, when you were young, when you were that young. So, you know, my mom's listening, so we can't. She doesn't like. She didn't really cook anything. So, growing up, so <laughs> she'll tell you that. Please tune real. out, Debbie. Please tune out. Right <laughs> So that's a pretty accurate statement. But before I was born, my father was a baker. So we used to, like, bake, like, growing up. Um, So, like, I would cook a lot with him. And my father was Italian, so we used to make all the Italian goodies. And um, so he was, like, we would barbecue a lot, too. And, of course, watching the Food Network, that was, like, my biggest influence. Like, I used to just, like, sit on the couch for hours and just watch the Food Network. Like, on a Friday night... I was home at 9 o'clock, no matter where I was, to watch back-to-back episodes of $40 a day with Rachel Ray. I'll never forget that. Wow. I actually, you know, it's bad that I remember the time slot she was on. <laughs> it was 9 o'clock on Friday. So I didn't really have, like, the hardcore, let's go out on Friday night. I was just like, okay, got to go home That's and watch okay. work. It worked out, didn't it? It worked out for me. It, it's it's funny you say your dad was a baker. We were We were spitballing some ideas for the show title, and we came up with, shut up, you had me at Burblanc. As yeah. a title, which I've been told that I'm gonna is put not that a on good my title. T- well, I'm going to put that on my Tinder like tagline. <laughs> not on that, if anybody's listening. There were uh, there were two other choices. <laughs> one that one choice was "May the Fork Be With You." Oh, that's a good one. Which didn't work out. And if you were a baker, it would have been "Go Ahead, Bake My Day." Oh, <laughs> so I so, love this one. Like I saw your title, I was like, "That's pretty cool." I would never thought to make a title like that. Yeah, we like it's the very, kitschy titles that's here. A, that's a, and also you wrote Burr Blanc. That's like a fancy word, George. I'm so proud of you. Go, go in my Google history Google. from last <laughs> night, and I was Googling top cooking terms, top professional cooking terms, and I saw Burr Blanc. I was like, all right. Yeah. I'm trying to make it rhyme with, uh, not rhyme, but make it sound like you had me at hello. You had me at Burr Blanc. All right. Yeah. It worked out. It worked out. It did work out. So, so it's funny that you were watching Rachel Ray on TV, and, you ne- and we'll get into this, but you now actually know Rachel Ray. 
That's a pretty accurate statement. I do have her phone number. I forgot to tell her to tune in today. I'll get back to her a little later. But. Oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> Rachel, please shout us out. We need it. <laughs> we need it. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, but it, it's crazy how you get to meet some of your heroes when, when you're really passionate about what you do. Right? Yeah, and then also my thing in my head is like, you know, you ever talk to yourself before you do something like Always. act cool? Like you do like a whole pump like, you know. That's like exactly you what release, I did before like, you got here. I was like, in, all right, George, like, act I'll, cool. Yeah, you do like a lean in, like, like. Yeah, yeah. What's up? I'm what's cool. What, what's up? Yeah, that's pretty. That was what what's I up? was doing when the first time I met. Well, actually, the first time I met Rachel Ray, I won't lie, I cried. Okay. I was like 18, went to like a book signing. I was so excited. And when I get really excited or when I laugh really hard, I cry. Okay. I don't like my emotions are really messed up. So I met meet Rachel with a shirt that says I heart Rachel Ray on it. And then like I still have the photo today. Like we're hugging and. I'm crying, and it was like a lot. It was just like a You got to get me that to post. I will. Don't yeah. worry. I have it framed in my house. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about your first job uh, in, your, in your younger years. So your first job was at 14 years old in an, in an Italian bakery in Brooklyn, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so talk to me about how that sort of influenced uh, the career going forward. Yeah, so of course, like when you're 14, who's hiring you? Like, let's face these facts. So I remember going to this bakery, and he was like, well, why do you want to work here? And actually, my answer was, I love the smell of bread, which if anybody has ever been out to a restaurant with me, you know, they put bread on the table, and the first thing I do is smell the bread to this day. Like, everybody knows that. It's like a weird thing. I've done it since I was a kid. My friend's always like, I know what Allison's to do. She's going to smell the bread. It's it's what I do. So Yeah, you're weird. I did, it's okay. It's a little weird, but I just love the smell of bread. I think the smell of yeast, like everybody knows I make pasta a lot, the dough, the yeast. It's very like a therapeutic like sure. smell. I get it. It's like like a I don't know, it's a weird thing. I get but it. I just love the smell of bread. So that's how I got a job there because I love the smell of bread. So I would like cord the bread. I, I did all the jobs there that I didn't get hired to do. And then they'd be like, Allison, you're supposed to work the counter and I was like, I don't wanna bag cookies for people. Yeah. You know? You want to be in the back cooking. Yeah, I would baking. be like scoring the bread with like the knife and we would put it, the bread in the oven. And then I would like pipe cannolis and like that's what I really enjoyed doing. They're like, Allison, you're supposed to work, you know, the counter. Like so and so wants a cappuccino. And I was like, no, <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, you knew what you wanted. Well, I knew I like that's why I worked there to do like the food part. They're like, you could work the counter. I was like, I got this. So <laughs> weeble my way into the back. <laughs> So, so before you finished up high school, uh, you had a couple of other jobs, right? Yeah. Am I, we spoke about where I actually worked because we're drinking coffee from there today. Are we allowed to say that? Yeah, sure. absolutely. Okay. So when I was in high school, I worked at Dunkin' Donuts. Okay. So that's, I wouldn't say it's like the high point of my career. It's definitely not on my resume, uh-huh. but I consider myself to be a barista now. Okay. There you so, go. Wait, are they actually baristas at Dunkin' Donuts? I mean... Technically. Also, George, you met me. I make a lot of stories up. So. <laughs> <laughs> and we will say the famous podcast line, Dunkin' Donuts is not a sponsor. Okay. But they could be. I did. And here's. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. This whole thing is powered by Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, we just. Unofficially. Unofficially power- powered. <laughs> um, so, so during this whole time, talk to me about how your family supported your dream. Well, first of all, I should say, when did you actually make the decision that you want to do this for? Oh, at 11. At 11. Bam. Done. And also, you know, like when you say things when you're a kid, like, I want to grow up and do this. And people are like, you're going to change your mind. Yep. No. Done. I was done. I saw Rachel and I was like, that's what I want to do. But I feel like a lot of people, when I tell them the story of how 
you know, I knew I wanted to become a chef after seeing Rachel Ray. Everyone always says, you know, she's not a chef. She's a cook. And I'm like, that's why I love Rachel. Because I think she never tries to be something that she's not. Yeah. And I feel like if you ever know Rachel's story, like, if you ask her, she's like, I should have never been on TV. You know, like, that's, she's like, I'm just a server from upstate New York. Mm. She just did, like, local TV. And then she finally did, like, a segment on, like, the Today Show. And somebody from Food Network saw her. And she was just like, I'm not what you want. I'm not a chef. And she walked out of the interview at Food Network. And then I guess you could say the rest is history because she has a daytime talk show. And she wins Emmy Awards. And I just, I think her message and how she was, like, even, you know, when I was 11 to now, it's, like, the same. She doesn't try to be anything she's not. Right. She still tells a great story. She's still doing those 30-minute meals. and. Yep. I think that's why she's relatable, you know, and she also cooks food that you could find locally at your grocery store, you know, all the ingredients that she's using. And she reaches such a big audience, you know, because I think a lot of times you tune into a cooking show, whether if you're a home cook or you're a professional chef, and you want to make what that person's making. And I think Rachel created such a brand for herself that she still carries for, you know, all these years. So, yeah. So she's not putting like, gooey duck in her recipes or no she's not and i think it's so important like when you like i've done a few cooking classes and i always want to use ingredients that you can find at your local grocery store because i feel like you're more likely to make it because i remember there would be like this one show i would watch and they would say you can only find this ingredient one time a year in italy i think that's when you go click because you're obviously not making that yeah you know like i feel like if you you relate to people like I bought this here. And then that's why, you know, Rachel's so relatable and I've met her several times and she's nothing but so nice and she's so fabulous. And it's like, how do you like not like her? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you a side note before we move on. Um, speaking of the, the ingredients that you use, is there a like signature taste for you in terms of, uh, seasoning spices that you like to use? Uh, and I'll, I'll use as an, as an example, I grew up in a, in a Greek household, but we cooked Italian, we cooked whatever. Now I cook um, different kind of cuisines. But the taste for me of salt, pepper, and oregano on anything is just king. Yeah. King. I always think, like, salt and pepper is really important to food. I think a lot of times when I try a dish, I'm like, it needs more salt. Mm-hmm. Like, salt is really important. Also, I love using kosher salt. I feel like people use iodine salt, which is, I just want to say side note, like two years ago, I didn't know it was pronounced iodized salt, so I used to call it idolized salt. <laughs> and then somebody was like, Allison, I love you, but it's not called idolized salt. And I was just like, who knew? And then I was <laughs> so, you know, I can't be good at everything, but kosher salt, I just like really big, bold, like flavorful foods, yeah. like I like food that has many different like layers to it, like there should be flavor in every layer. Of food, so, yeah. but I could I could eat anything really. Yeah, it depends what I'm in the mood for. Sure, you know? sure. Um, so, I want to move on to when you were working at the Sagamore in Lake George at 17 years old. That had a big influence on you, right? Yeah, I feel like the Sagamore was like my school because I like learned how to do everything there. I was like a hostess, I was a server, I worked room service, I cooked there, I worked banquets. So it's kind of like I did everything. You know, and I learned so much working there. And I got hired there when I was, like, 17. My Aunt Diane worked there. And uh, also, side note, Rachel Ray worked there back in the early 90s. Oh. So, you know, we're kind of like the same So, like, person. same-sies, right? Yeah, same-sies. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like in 10 years I'm going to read about you wearing, like, Rachel Ray's, like, skin suit or something. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Rachel the same person. <laughs> 
few years from now, like I'm gonna be on, I'm gonna be hosting a show like Rachel. Yes, you are. I'll have an Emmy or just be nominated for one. I'm like a nominated person. Like I don't need to win. Just want to be nominated because you know when you win, there's nowhere else to go. So I just want to be like straight across the board nominated. <laughs> um, so like working at the Sagamore, I got hired as like a hostess. Was that was my first job there, uh-huh. and actually my last job there I was the head chef of the same restaurant. So. Oh, cow! Wow! Wing, wing! Look at you, full circle. Full circle. You did it, baby. I remember like some of the same people worked there, and they were like, "Alice, remember you were the hostess?" I was like, "I don't want to talk about it." <laughs> I wasn't really a good hostess because like. You know, we did the TED Talks, and you were like, you have to stand in the circle. And I actually really can't stay still. That's my problem. So, like, being a hostess and you just stand there was not – I knew that I couldn't. So I was everywhere else besides yeah. at the hostess stand. And somebody was like, you know, in order to see people, you actually have to be at the hostess stand. And I was like, huh, interesting. <laughs> Didn't know that. People want to tune in for the rest because I feel like I haven't even to- told my best jokes yet. You have not. And yeah, she but it's is really warming up. I'm really pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. I'm in this, the wrong career. I'm this, just switching over. This lady does comedy. Uh, so funny. In her Naturally. Kitchen. Naturally. Naturally. Look at, Look at you. You do it all. You know, I'm kind of like if Rachel Ray meets Chelsea Handler. There you go. That's I can what see I that. am. It's the blonde hair about the Chelsea. I hope that, there's less less vodka involved. I mean, <laughs> also. You know me or and not. Chelsea's birthdays are a few days apart. Oh, really? Yeah, she's a Pisces. We're both blonde. Yeah. We're both really funny. Is that another one that you're stalking currently? or is it I do just love, Rachel I've Ray? always loved uh, Chelsea Handler. I think she's just so funny. And ho- her jokes are very relatable. She's like a great storyteller. When she tells a story, you could like picture yourself being there. She is. But a, but a lot of her stories, I don't think you actually really want to be there with her. But I am. Um, no, you don't. No, she, you don't. I have all her books, actually. Yes. Yeah, I have all her books. I've seen uh, I've seen her do stand up a couple of times. Very funny in person, like really, Very really funny. funny. Yeah, um, let's get back to it. So the Sagamore um, after that. So you graduate high school. Um, th- interestingly enough, you wanted to go to CIA, the Culinary Institute of Samer- of oh. America, and you got denied. Yeah, I mean, why do you have to bring that up, George? How'd that feel? No. How'd that feel, <laughs> Alice? Terrible. Tell me. <laughs> so actually, the CIA was the only. Um, school I wanted to go to, like, even before I stepped into high school, I was like, I'm going to go to the Culinary Institute of America. So, like, senior year, that was the only school I applied to. And I remember getting this letter and said, sorry, you're not accepted. And I just remember I cried. I was so sad that I didn't get accepted. Um, And then since that day forward, I've worked with a lot of people from that school, and I purposely work right next to them. So I love that. show that I might be a little bit better and I the tell spark them the moment. story. That's a spark moment right there. Yeah. Um, rejection, and I've experienced this so many times, rejection for me, there were certain moments of rejection in my life that really became pivotal where I either said I have to move on from this or I'm going to be better than anybody at this. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think the CIA is a little sorry now because they could have had this star underneath their belt, but YOLO. So. And you are a star. YOLO. Thank you. Hashtag YOLO. Um, what, is, what is growth look like after that moment, right? Um, you're in that moment of rejection. You're despondent. You're, you're upset. You're crying. And then you have to figure out how to move forward. What is that once you sort of grieve what happened with that rejection, what's that moment where you kind of say, all right, it's time to move on? Oh, like five seconds later. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah that's how Allison moves. Gets denied. See you in five minutes. I'll so you have be back. no feelings whatsoever. You have uh, a cold black heart. 
I mean, but also like, how long are you gonna dwell on something? I'm like, you didn't get it. Like, get, not getting accepted to a school, it's not, like, the worst thing that could possibly happen. And there's so many other culinary schools out there. So it's like, why am I going to cry over this? Like, this give me five seconds. Let's get over it. And let's see where we could move forward from there. Yeah, I love that. Um, you wound up going to Johnson & Wales for a yes. year. And then decided, mm-mm. Let's just do Italian cuisine. Yeah, time for a change. And then you went to Calabria, Italy at 19 to study at the Italian Culinary Institute. Yep. Yeah, talk to me about that experience. And I'm going to ask you a, a really good question about this after you tell us about the experience there. But I want to hear about what was the goal going in there? Um, so, you know, going to Italy was great because that's what I want to study is Italian cuisine and what better way than to go where it comes from. Mm-hmm. So I studied regional Italian cuisine. So Calabria, if you don't know, it's like the southern part of Italy. Um, so we did everything from pasta to gelato to bread, um, studied because, you know, each region, there's 20 regions of Italy. Each region has dishes that they're known for. We learned about wine and olive oils and like real Italian food because Mm -hmm. people say, oh, I love Italian food. Chicken Parmesan's my favorite. I'm like, that's not Italian. And people get like really sad when I tell them this. So it's about knowing the food and like what comes from there and what's real Italian food and... I think what the Italian cuisine has taught me is like, you know, in Italy, they have some of the best produce in the world. So it's about showcasing each ingredient Mm -hmm. uh, for what it is. And, um, you know, that's what I loved about going to Italy and learning about like the food and the ingredients and the experience and meeting the people. And um, it definitely like, I'm sure there's a lot of people that follow me on like social media or whatever. I do make pastas a lot and I love the Italian cuisine and pasta is like my favorite thing to eat. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say um, showcasing each ingredient because when you think about the different um, uh, uh, different types of, of cuisine from all over the world, when you look at Italian food, it's it, really the ingredients are the MVPs, right? Oh, it's, yeah, absolutely. It, it's not where there are some cultures where I think of paella where there's a lot of like a mishmash of different ingredients Mm -hmm. that sort of come to make one big flavor. But with Italian food, it's really like each thing is its own star in the meal. Absolutely. And it's all about, you know, this like layers of flavors. And in Italian cuisine, really, like if you look at recipes, it's not like multiple ingredients. It's like minimal ingredients really showcasing their flavors and what they have to offer. And I think that's where I had this love, like the Nona style, which is very like rustic. And uh, that's like my favorite style to cook, or as I call it, very like elbows on the table. You know, like at restaurants, I yeah. love describing restaurants as that because it's more like relaxed. And even like plating wise, I always tell people organic rustic, like let the food fall where it is. Like you don't have to perfectly plate it. Yeah. So. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I think that's a good place to cut this off. We're going to get into next. All the dirty details. All the dirty, dirty details. All the, all the hidden secrets that Allison doesn't know I'm going to be bringing you gonna, up I'm going to tell you who my Valentine is. Oh, my God. No, I'm just kidding. I don't have one. Applications are open now. <laughs> <laughs> Swipe right for Allison Fasano. Uh, she is on every maybe major. Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. She who is knows? on every major dating app out there. That's not true. I'm not. She's not. I'm, I'm not. Can you imagine? <laughs> I don't even know what to do. People are like, what's your interest? I don't know. You got to get on that celebrity one. There's oh, is a, there one? I forget what it is called. Oh, man, I got to look this up. I'll mention it in the second segment. There's a celebrity one. There's one where it's all celebrities on there. There's like I feel a vetting like process. I would not do very well. I guess I have like, I just can't. I'm, yeah. I'm more on like Instagram and Facebook. I'm not a dating app type of gal. All right. You know. All right. 
Then you'd just be here. Be on the launch cast. Thanks. I'm also really a cheap date because I really don't eat or drink a lot. So that's Perfect. Right. And we're getting into that. <laughs> we are. The LaunchCast is sponsored today by the Leadership Experience, a coaching masterclass. Intentional, unconventional, thoughtful leadership from keynote speaker, CEO, nonprofit board member, and TEDx executive producer, George Andriopoulos. Hey, it's me. Guys, the music's getting louder, which either means that this is a can't-miss epic course or that Fabrizio fell asleep at the controls again. This music is so damn loud, and that means it's going to be amazing and that Fabrizio's pay is definitely getting docked this week. Join us, the Leadership EXP for details. You don't want to miss this. So how was the experience in Calabria? Uh, it was incredible, you know, to go somewhere and learn about a culture and cuisine. And I think we all have this image in our head what Italian cuisine is, and then you really go there and we're like, oh, this is... This is what real Italian cuisine is. And uh, to experience it and see what grows wild and to learn about all these different regions and, you know, what comes from what region. And, you know, like each area of Italy has food that they're known for, that they cook. Like if you're in the southern part of Italy, it's more seafood forward. You know, citrus grows wild. It's hotter. You know, they're spicier food, whether you're in the north and there's a lot of like ragus and heavier because it's you know, based off the climate, a little colder right. in the north and what grows wild and, you know, like about olive oils and wine and all that stuff. So it's like important or interesting knowledge that I've never really thought about uh, before, like learning um, about Italy in particular. Right. You know, about the what the real true cuisine is. So I think that was what was so important to me. So even after I um, came back home, I just wanted to teach people more about and educate about the Italian cuisine because people talk about penny alla vodka and chicken parm. I'm like, that's not Italian. Right. You know, I think I think a lot of people would be surprised to know there's one dish in Italy. It's called parmigiana, which is eggplant. You know, so those chicken parm, shrimp parm that we have here in America, that's not Yeah, like Italian. bastardized sort of. Yeah. yeah, but I also think that happens in any culture. It does. You know, like in Mexico, like what people think of Mexican cuisine here, it's really not. What it is? Yeah. What was funny was um, I can I can attest to that in terms of the Greek culture. So I, I've only been to Greece once. Um, I went when I was 12 years old. My parents sent me with like this church, church tour group that went there. And I was so looking forward to having a gyro in Greece. And they like, I love gyros. There's no gyros in Greece. Like, <laughs> yeah. We found in Athens there was a place that had gyros. And it was like, okay. The only difference was they put the fries in the gyro. But... That was it. There's no gyros in Greece. That's not a also, thing. Also, I think a, it's isn't it pronounced hiero? Hiero. Yes. Hiero. Yeah. So that's another mistake. Now we're mispronouncing food too. Yeah. I yeah. think it happens because, you know, we always have this conversation um, among chefs. We're like, well, what is American cuisine, right? Because you know, America, you have all these different countries and cultures that you know came here and they brought their cuisines with them. So it's kind of like America is like a mix yeah. of all. Cuisines, you know, like you could go get, you know, Mexican, Italian, Greek. And then I think over time, anything becomes like Americanized. Because like when somebody says, what's American cuisine? Like the first thing that pops in my head is like hot dogs and hamburgers. Yeah, burger, right. You know, like even like pizza that we have here. Like, yes, pizza does come from Italy, Naples and to be particular. But it's not Italian pizza. 
No, but you know, anywhere you go in Italy, they do those like personal size yeah. pies, and yeah. then here we're having like massive size pies. Well, that's but everything here. I would have to say, if you want real Italian cuisine without leaving New York, check out Keste Pizza down by the Wall Street area. Okay, Roberto's uh, like one of the best uh, pizzaiolos in the world, and he, you know, is from Naples, and it's like that's real deal, delicious pizza awesome I will, I will definitely check that out and we'll put the link up in the show notes too for that and that's not an advertisement no but, and I but actually, it could be it could be you know, i've actually <laughs> met roberto several times i've had his pizza he's just so sweet so nice and just like he's like really showcasing real deal pizza like go there that's real deal yep awesome um i have an interesting question for you about italy tell me the main difference for Allison, right, between Allison before Italy and Allison after Italy? I feel like I came back a more educated woman. You know, like, I was like, oh, I was telling everybody, that's not Italian. I went on this phase where people like, this, you know, Penny Alavaca, and I would say, that's not Italian. Right. So I went on that, like, but also I just learned so much um, about that trip. Uh, and that journey and traveling in Italy and really learning history and, you know, like, it's one of the most, like, beautiful places sure. in the world. And, you know, you have food there and you, like, take a bite of pizza, you know, uh, pizza and you see all these vegetables and fruit and, you know, these markets. And, like, I think if you're a chef or not, like, you walk through a market, it inspires you. You're like, I want to make something. Yeah. yeah. You know, so... Um, I definitely looked at produce differently, uh -huh. I would say, you know, because like you go in Italy, you see these beautiful tomatoes. You're like, you know, I just want to showcase that tomato, you know, and uh, it's about, you know, building like layers of flavor of food. And I think, you know, like something is like I came back and like mastered the art of risotto, which okay. a lot of people. So sometimes I want to go to a restaurant. So I'm not a really big rice eater, okay. but I love making risotto. So I'll go to restaurants and I see risotto, and I'm like, that's not risotto. Like, a key to risotto, it sh like should always move with the plate because it's a creamy, like you incorporate air. Sure. So that's what I – so now I go to restaurants, and I'm not like one of those people who go out to eat, and I complain because I never – I just like – I just I could eat anything. Yeah. But sometimes I'm like, oh, that's not that's not what that should be. Yeah. You know, so I have to critique it a little bit in my head, but I don't really tell people. It's all right. You were in the right. I told, you know, I'll tell you. So. So Italy made you more judgmental, basically. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, you know, as you, because, you know, I went to Italy at a young age and I gained a really big knowledge about, yeah. you know, the Italian cuisine and cooking. And, you know, we did olive oil tasting. It's like, I've never thought about doing an olive oil tasting. And then you... You learn how to taste. And I think over time, especially in this career, we learn how to have a better palate. Yeah. You know, like sometimes I'll taste something and I'm not critiquing it. I'm thinking, well, you know, it needs more acid. It needs more citrus. It needs salt. You know, you should have added this. It needs like a crunch. So like when I try food, I'm not like this is good or this is bad. I'm like, what does it need? And I think that's what chefs think when they try food. We're not just seeing like if we like it or not. It's like, what else could it need? Yeah. How could we do this differently? Whether we're trying somebody else's dish or we are experimenting in our own homes, we're seeing how could I have made this better? You know, should I have cooked this more or less? Should I add a crunch? Does it need citrus? Does it need an acid? Like, what does it need? Yeah. So, you know, as you progress 
in this profession, you train your palate yeah. to see what food needs by experimenting. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so you finish up in Italy, you come home, right? And, and you're really launching your career. Um, I heard a really interesting little factoid uh, in, in a video that you actually shared on your, on your social media. Um, the fact was that 7%, only 7% of women that go to culinary schools go into restaurant management or become restaurateurs? Uh, yeah. So that 7% means 7% right now in the United States are women-owned restaurants or women are executive chefs. 7%. Right. 7%. 7%. What was it like to go out into the world where where that exists? You know, and you're going into an industry where the odds are against you. There's a, it, you look at that 7% number, but if you look at it in a different way, there's a 93% chance that you will be just a line cook, you know? Yeah. But actually, I did not know this number when I first started out. So I went to uh, this women chef conference out in uh, Minneapolis. And that's like, it had to be like last year or the year before I attended both years. And they said that number. And I was just like, no way. Yeah. You know, because like, I don't look around and be like, there's no female chefs. There's no this. Like, it's not even like questions like I even thought about, you know, like that's not like. Well, that wasn't your, your, your thing going into it. You just wanted to cook. I just wanted to cook. So like, I probably found this out about like two years ago when they brought up this number at this conference. And I was just like, it's not one, like something you think of. Like I've worked under, you know, female executive chefs before. So like, I didn't really think like be like, where's all the female chefs? It's not a question I've ever asked myself in my career. So you have to think I found this out two years ago. And then I was like, no way. Yeah. So I was really surprised about uh, the number, but I've always just worked hard and just kind of, I wasn't like, I'm a female chef, he's a male chef. Like I would never, like I never put a gender in front of my career. Sure. Until I heard this number and you know, there was a lot of big name female chefs at this um, event, like Lydia Bassianich and uh, Elizabeth Faulkner and Carla Hall. And I, I think that's when I started um, really encouraging more women and uh, really networking with that group to kind of, you know, let's get women uh, promotion that they deserve. Let's get, you know, women paid. Because I've worked in restaurants where I'd never thought about that before you know I remember working in one restaurant in particular and I had more experience than this one guy I worked at the restaurant a lot longer I remember he had less than two years of experience he worked one station I worked all of them and he was making 17 and I made 13 yeah Big so yeah. yeah I remember it like I remember being like, why is he getting paid so much money? Like, he just started cooking, and I've been doing this for a while. Why is he getting paid 17 and I'm getting paid 13 Like, what's happening here? Or another time I had, uh, there was this promotion up at this one job, and uh, I, didn't, I didn't want whatever the position was, but I remember they told me, it was like, we know you have more experience than he does. And I think at that moment, I was like, okay. So it's kind of becoming a gender thing. It's a thing, yeah. Yeah, and then when I went to this conference and there was like a video made and we were talking about it, I realized it was happening to other women in their career and women who are really well-known, 
like Lydia told a story when she opened her first restaurant for Lydia in the city. Like it's been there for like 20 something years now. But the bank told her, make sure you take your husband with you. Like she couldn't take out the loan. Her husband took out the loan. Now Lydia is like, you know, a household name. She's on TV. She owns several restaurants. She's so well respected in our career that I remember hearing her story and you would never think that someone like Lydia got denied a loan. You know, now she owns restaurants like Italy and, you know, like Del Posto and all these restaurants. And she has such a great career and so many women look up to her. Like I didn't know she had this stumbling block opening up a first restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. So this this now matters to you so much. And we're going to get into the how of how this all happened. But tell me why. Let's take a, a little sidebar here. Why? Why did this become important to you? Why are you using your platform as a, a skilled cook, as an executive chef? Why are you now branching out to address some of these issues? Like, what what is it that's driving you? I think that... Early on in my career, I didn't know what I know now. And I didn't, like, I look back, I'm like, oh, that happened to me. Okay, that, that's happened. And I think that in this 7% of women, what people don't really know in this 7% is, like, you have people like uh, Nancy Silvington out in California who has a Michelin star restaurant and won a James Beard Award. And you also have people like Dominique Creme, who's one of the first female chefs ever to run a three Michelin star restaurant. I mean, like, so there's some big heavy hitters in the seven percent so i don't ever want people to look at the seven percent and be like well men are better it's like okay let's uh let's fight for this a little bit and i think that you know it's not like us women we all like i've done events with them and um we all work so well together and we build each other up like i love working with chef elizabeth faulkner who's become like a mentor to me she's been a james beard nominee owned the restaurant uh she does a lot of studies with uh yale um and she's just so smart, has one of the biggest hearts I know. And there's people like Elizabeth who talk to me about some stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that does happen. You know, like um, some, you have uh, people from like newspapers and magazines say to Elizabeth, where are all the female chefs? And Elizabeth looks at them and says, well, what are you, blind? Like they're all there. And she starts like naming them. And um, I think we do kind of have to fight for what we want a little bit and I think if you have a voice and you kind of in this sense I guess you put your money where your knife is if that makes any sense yeah yeah for sure um so I think as a female chef so that's what they call us but I honestly think that that title female chef is set so high that men wish they had that title yeah you Uh, know it, it that's a it's a really interesting observation um you know, one of, one of the things that I would love to see in this world in my lifetime is where terms like that change, right? Absolutely. Chef. Yep. That's it. Not female yep. chef, not black chef, not white yeah, chef. Yeah, no, absolutely. In, in everything. And for me, um, in terms of what I do with my leadership, you know, uh, th- that's what this whole podcast is about. We're talking to Allison right now because I want people to hear these stories I want another four-year-old girl out there that's obsessed with Celine Dion and wears a do-rag all the time to yeah, go out and course. say, hey, shit, I can do that too. Yeah. You know? Um, and so we build leaders like that. But but in order for all leaders and all people to thrive, there has to be an even playing field at some point. And not not a contrived even playing field where we'll where we're saying, okay, we'll just make the playing field 
even. No, it just has to be even. Yeah. We have to just get to, and it's just going to take time. Um, but for me, I love when there's more people to play with in the sand. You know, Absolutely. I want that competition. It makes me better. I never want the competition to stop. I never want the rejections to stop. Of course. Because for every three successes, I get one rejection that makes me so angry that I forget about the three successes mm-hmm. and I want to make myself even better than those three successes. And and we make each other build better and we build each other. And it, it, there's just a better product out there, whether it's your service, your food, um, you know, what I do, what you do, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It makes everybody better and it makes the world a better place. Absolutely. You know? So I think it's like, you know, if you look at, like, if a female chef is being written up at a magazine and always says, led by female chef, like, never this is chef, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we, we've, heard, we've heard the why, right? We've heard the why of, of why this sort of sparked something inside of you to do something. But the how is how you actually got there. And the how is the platform that we take to, to get to that leadership. So for you, um, you got out of uh, culinary school in Italy, you started working, you work your way up, and uh, really things started happening for you in terms of the, the public figure side of what you do when you started working for Bobby Flay. Right? Yes. Yeah, so talk to me about that experience. Um, I loved working for Bobby. I worked for him for three years at a sous chef, as a sous chef at uh, his restaurant Gatto in the city. Um, and it was, I loved working for him and I think I learned to make it personal because he knows all his employees' names. He actually put an apron on. He worked at his restaurants. He'll talk to you. He knows the food better than anybody else at his restaurants and it's very personable to him. You know, like the food, he always says it's the most important. So I think that's definitely, um, something that I've learned from working with him and he's so nice and has such a big heart and I had such a great, um, experience and you know i did leave and i did my first show it was called beat bobby fly yeah yeah <laughs> i didn't beat him but it's okay i was just so excited to be there <laughs> so so you, you leave bobby's restaurant and this is when things start happening you know you're still doing your thing you're out there uh being a chef being a cook at whatever restaurant you're at but now tv comes into play and we've all seen uh the media frenzy in the last 10 15 years that's happened with bringing food to television oh yeah it's so entertaining to me I I'm very entertaining. Network. Yeah, you are entertaining. I, but I watch the Food Network at home. I watch it with my kids. My kids love it. Um, it, it just food speaks to people in in so many different ways. So it's a it's a great medium to use for entertainment on television. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but this sort of started springboarding your not only your career as a chef, but your place as a leader. Um, yeah. We talked about what you've done in terms of television before. I'll just reiterate, but um, we had Beat Bobby Flay, we had Chopped, we had Fios's Restaurant Hunters, uh, Newsday Feed Me TV. You have quite a few other things in the works that you know people have to stay tuned for details on that stuff. But talk to me about the whirlwind of that whole process. Yeah, so actually, you know, I left working for Bobby and then the, I got on like Chopped like a month after and then one day I got this phone call and it was like, hi, this is so-and-so from Beat Bobby Flay. And I was like, you have the wrong phone number. And then she's like, well, I got your, uh, I, you know, got your name from, you know, one of his personal assistants. She oh. said you would be great on the show. And I remember being like, <laughs> like I pulled the phone away for a second. She was like, do you want to do the show? And I was like, hold on. Yeah, I do. Count me in. <laughs> yeah. So I think what a lot of people don't know is, um, you know, I've always dreamt of being on TV, but I shot both shows legit in the same week. Oh, wow. So I was like TV'd out for a week. 
you know, like there's only so much TV I can do. No, I'm just kidding. That's a I whole f- process, yeah. those shows. Yeah. I'll, I'll let everybody in on a little secret. I was like this close to being on Chopped myself. They were. Oh doing, yeah, you told me. Yeah, yeah. So they were doing a uh, they were doing a, a charity episode of Chopped. Um, so it was uh, professionals that were involved with nonprofits or whatever. And of course, I co-founded a nonprofit years ago, and I do a lot of charitable work with the Ronald McDonald House and a few other organizations. Um, and so I, I sort of sent an application in on a whim. I love cooking. I barely have time for it anymore. I, I would say five years ago, I was really in more, much more into it, but now it's, it's tough. My wife does all the cooking at home. Um, but I found it interesting, and I was like, hey, if I can go on there and win some money for charity and grow the brand, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a whole thing because I had to speak with a casting person that was working with me for like two weeks, and we shot – a uh, promo thing. We did a Skype interview. Oh yeah, it, was it is. Like, it was a whole thing, and yeah. unfortunately, I didn't get it. And by the way, I did, I think I didn't get it because I was being honest. Um, because I said if you put me in a regular episode, I could probably pull it off until the dessert round. And I'm I'm not a baker, and I'm like I'm. And I said to them, I'm not looking to get embarrassed. So if you're putting me on there and give me like some crazy shit in the dessert round, I will make a fool of myself, and I don't want that. And so I think that's why. Yeah. You should have <laughs> just said yes and figure it out. Yeah, but I didn't want to get embarrassed. So I'm kind of, yeah. I was happy that I I feel like there's chosen. always people who will do it worse than you. I'm sure there is. I'm sure there you know, is. But it is a process. Actually, the only show I have ever applied for was Chopped. And then like somebody once told me, let's do one show and they'll call you back to do all the shows. So yeah. I did beat Bobby Flay. And like for me, going on a show, it's not always about winning. I feel like winning's like that cherry on top of the Sunday. I'm just so excited to be there. And, you know, I... I'm sure somebody's watched me on TV, but I always say something. People say, that was so funny. No, you're definitely entertaining. Um, It's something that I see when I see you on TV. It's something that uh, during the process of you becoming a TEDx speaker, a TEDx Farmingdale, that we saw your personality come out. So, um, you know, in leadership, um, and I'm sure this is something that you've already sort of realized because I see who you are here on the podcast speaking on a stage. You're always the same person. And Mm -hmm. it's the big secret to leadership, to sales, to, to speaking on stage, to doing anything, is that if you can be your authentic self oh yeah, in your real life and in your professional life, then you got it. Yeah. I am myself all the time. Sometimes people might be like a little embarrassed about things I say because they're fine. Right. Right. You know, like I did the, the speech at Athena and like, you know, here I am giving like a speech, like say yes. And then the whole crowd's hysterical. Yeah. So, yeah. but you know, as long as you get the key, the message that I was saying, that's all that matters. You do, and you have to you have to engage people. So, um, and, and I think you sort of built that tool a little bit when you when you got on TV uh, in a few respects. Um, but I, I, it's interesting because now you have this tool, right? You have this platform of, you know, you're out there as a chef. So this is growing the opportunities for you, of mm-hmm. course, um, being on TV. But at the same time, you've now become cognizant of. There's other shit going on out there. There's, yeah. you know, women in in uh, the culinary world. There's uh, food waste, right? All these yeah. these issues that you've taken up on. Once you kind of became aware, because in the beginning it's just about cooking, but then as you grow, as you mature a little bit, you get older, you start getting your experience, you know, other things come into play. So my question is, once you kind of made that realization, was your goal still just to keep cooking or was were you like, I'm going to turn this narrative upside down? Like, I want to shake shit up. I love shaking shit up. I feel like that could 
that could be my first cookbook, Shake Shit Up. Um, I'm writing that down. Shake, shake Shit, shit up. up. I'm going to trademark that. Thank you. <laughs> um, I mean, a little bit of both. You know, to me, I love getting in the kitchen. I love cooking something. And it's a mix of both because I'm never going to, like, stop cooking. And it's never not going to be about food. I feel like all the topics I cover, all the things I do are relatable to food like when we talk about food waste and hunger that has to do with food or you know i give like a keynote message i'm all about saying yes i feel like that's still in the content of what i do on a daily basis right so right um interesting question for you so now you know you've established yourself after all these years and you've had some really interesting projects uh in the kitchen what is the culture like in Allison Fasano's kitchen? Oh, my personal one that I usually run. So to, there's two. There's going to be two questions here. I'm going to follow it up with what is your kitchen like at home? But this one is your professional kitchen, the one you run at a restaurant. It's usually, I like to create a really fun, relaxed environment because like if you don't know restaurants, a lot of times we work a lot of long hours. So we'd like to have fun. I like to make people laugh a lot and we joke around, but also at the same time, you get the job done. I feel like also when you give people a fun place to work, they want to work one work for you. And two, they, everyone wants to do better and everybody wants to learn how to do something. And actually I don't ever yell. Like I'm the way I'm talking to you right now is the way I talk all the time. And I also just like, sometimes you have to turn a liability into an asset. Like something happened to the restaurant. I'm like, okay, here's where, how we're going to fix this. And I'm all for helping everybody out. Yes. I think, you know, of course, somebody's going to burn something. Something's going to happen. You know, somebody's going to run out of something. I think it's all about, like, you know, it's okay. Like, we could fix this. Right. You know, so I create kind of this dynamic, like, friendly, um, you know, place for the people that I work with. You know, because that's I want them to look forward to coming to work. Because, you know, I worked in places where I'm like... I don't want to mess up today or, you know, I would think all these things before I got to work, like I can't talk or like it was such a serious um, environment. I worked in a lot of restaurants where it was really serious, like let's not tell jokes, no smiling. So I was just like, this is not what I want to do. Like this is not like what food's about to me. Like I remember watching Rachel and she's smiling and that's what I always remember, you know, like this smile for no reason or make people have fun at work. And I feel like that's what, when you give someone that type of environment, no matter where you work, they want to work for you. They're like, yeah. it's fun. It's not like an uptight place. And, you know, I've been there and I've worked at places where like, I really am not looking forward to going to work. And I feel like when you are in that, you know, mental state, like I don't look forward to going to work. I feel like we have a problem. Like you should leave that job. Yeah. You know, and I feel like a lot of people are afraid to leave their job. But I'm like, if you don't look forward to going to work, if you hate your job or, you you know, like there's other places out yeah. there for you. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it's crazy because um, there's really an epidemic in this industry amongst uh, amongst cooks and chefs and, and, and kitchen staff. Um, it's a tough environment. Yeah. Um, I do. You know, my, my company is a consulting firm and we do a fair amount of consulting in the restaurant industry. Um and a lot of times we'll deal with uh, um, operations consulting, mm-hmm. you know, with with how to get the staff um, running in a more efficient way, you know, which you have to look at a lot of things, whether it's a kitchen staff at the front of the house, the back of the house, um, you know, and you have to look at a lot of things. You have to look at the culture in the restaurant. You have to look at, uh, you know, 
make it a goal driven strategy where you get people to come to work because they want to go to work yeah. and succeed, right? And so um, amongst restaurateurs, number one, this is a it's become a very tough industry. It's tough to keep a restaurant open nowadays. Uh, yes. And also there's a lot of things that go to restaurants. I think, uh, last year or so people are coming out more and talking about mental health Yeah, in a restaurant, which is really important, whether somebody has an alcohol or a drug problem or whatever it is, it's really important topic to talk about. Um, I'm happy to say I've never had a problem. I'm also like a really boring person. Like people are like, let's go out after work. And I was always that one that always went home. Yeah. You know, like I've, Never wanted to show up to work hungover or anything like that. Yeah. So I'm happy to say that I've never had a problem. Um, so I feel like people coming out and talking about their mental health problems, whether they're alcohol or whatever, their choices, um, it's an important topic to talk about. Because you're not the only person in this um, you know, career or business that has that problem. Yeah. And I feel like when we've seen in the last couple of years, like when one person comes out and says something and you're like, oh, there's like a whole, like, you know, well, they parade. The and, of course. And it's important. And I think that it's a very important topic because like restaurant business is the only, I would say profession where people like you work 60 plus hours a week, you know, you might work a 15 hour shift. I'm, and then like half the time I worked in restaurants and I leave, I'm like, Oh, I'm so hungry. I didn't eat all day. And people are like, how is that possible? I'm like, you don't understand. Like, you know, we eat like maybe a small family meal and we're eating, standing up and doing other stuff. Yeah. So we don't really not like we're eating. And, you know, I've drink, I drink gallons of water when I'm working in restaurants and, um, you know, you don't have, you know, an opportunity to take a break a lot of the times or, you know, it's hard getting a day off or, you know, when you work six days, 12 hour shifts, I mean, that's hard. Right. You know, and then some people choose to go out after work and, you know, it turns into a problem. I've worked with people who I don't think they went home that night, you know, and they showed up to work the next day and you kind of see it's a problem. And I think when there are a lot of restaurants now that are there, like as your support system, yeah, whether you have a open door policy at HR or, you know, you, if you're a leader or the owner or the executive chef, like you come up with ways to support your staff in a brighter direction. Like some people like, oh, let's all go bowling. So you like almost build a family in your restaurant where people don't need to go to whatever their drug of choice or go out drinking or do all this craziness yeah. because we hope for the better of our staff. Yeah. You know, I also think being a leader or a you know, chef or a mentor, whatever you want to call it, I think you have to be that example. Like, oh, absolutely. I think years ago, chefs were seen as like this rock star lifestyle. Like we're going to work a 12-hour shift and we're going to stay up, you know, so at 6 a.m. and show up to work and work breakfast. Like I think that culture has changed a lot. Uh, because I think if anybody's familiar with Anthony Bourdain, yeah. um, who, you know, has such great books, you know, he had a book called Ki- Kitchen Confidential, which I read when I was in culinary school. And it talks about that scene and it almost paints that picture, which that culture, it's not really what it is anymore in restaurants, you know, so not every restaurant's the same. And, um, you know, so I think as a leader, you definitely have to be there for for your staff yeah. and give them like a safe working environment and be there for them. 
Yeah. Um, I, I think you made some amazing points. There. I want to speak on this for an, for a minute and then sort of get a piece of advice from you on it. But um, you talked about a lot of stuff. And the one thing that stuck out was when you mentioned HR and HR policies, yeah. right? And so what's interesting is that we kind of, we sometimes don't see as the customers going into a restaurant what is actually going on behind the scenes. And what I mean is that, hey, if I go to like XYZ Italian restaurant, it could be XYZ Italian restaurant owned by John Smith or it could be XYZ Italian restaurant owned by blah, 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 restaurant group that owns 17 other restaurants yeah. and there's an HR department. But the one that's owned by John Smith and it's this one place and they're yeah. struggling to stay open, there is no HR. There's nobody. Yeah, that's right. What you have is you have, whether it's the chef uh, the chef restaurateur or just the, the restaurateur that owns the place and there's a separate chef there, you have a, an ownership that's stressed because it's a tough industry oh, to yeah, maintain. Sure. Um, you have a staff that is now um, running in a stressed environment as opposed to an environment that they could thrive in. And it sort of goes down the line. Now, you also mentioned that rock star sty- uh, lifestyle. Um it's a thing, you know, and, and whether the industry is changing or not, you, you'd be better to tell us than, than I would. But, you know, setting those precedents um, in terms of ownership, because it has to start there, in terms of ownership of building in um, a healthy lifestyle and a healthy culture within uh, a restaurant, making sure that there are limits maybe to, to how many hours somebody can work. And, yeah. you know, it's tough when you're going in at four in the afternoon and you're getting done at two in the morning oh, yeah, every single sure. day. Um, and so the the people that, that own these restaurants, they need to be cognizant of that, whether you're a big restaurant group or, or an individual owner, that you have to start at the top by creating that culture. And then subsequently, when you're running a kitchen, that culture within the kitchen is going to dictate how those people feel. And so building that positive culture, that fun culture, it's amazing. Um, but when I talk about an epidemic of mental health in the industry and you see people like Anthony Bourdain, and you know, it's, it's so sad to see what has gone on in the industry and something has to change. So if you could give one bit of advice right now to the industry as a whole, what is it? Uh, to listen. You know, listen to your staff, listen to, you know, um, give everybody like a platform to speak. Like, don't shut people down. You know, I think as a leader, if somebody comes up to you and says, I have a problem or I need help or you see it, you know, I think sometimes the best uh, medicine is just to listen to somebody, like give them a few minutes. Yeah. You know, I think in our day, people always want to say, my day is so busy. I always feel like you have two, three, four, five minutes to spare to give somebody because that five minutes could change somebody's life. Yeah. I, I, I love that advice and I, I'll get a little serious here in, in responding to it. Um, entrepreneurs out there, whether you're running a restaurant, running a, a, another kind of business, if you are not listening, you are not a leader and you are fucking up big time. Um, and when you look at what has happened in industries like the restaurant industry, um, you have to you have to realize how serious that is. That could cost somebody their lives, and, oh, yeah. and that that's no joke. That could cost somebody their lives when you build a culture of just it's me, 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 me. It's my way. I'm not going to listen to you, and then come to find out three years later that this culture is so disgustingly horrible in your place of business to the point where somebody may take their life because this is their world now. They're living in this negativity. Yeah. So uh, it's on the entrepreneurs. It's on the restaurant owners to step up and, and fix this. So I think that's great advice. Um, 
let's get a little lighter now now that we've we've depressed everybody out there in in podcast land well they're um, listening to us george that's all that matters. that's true that's true they're giving us their time yes they are um Tell me about your kitchen at home. What is your kitchen I look mean, like everybody needs to get out. My mom's like, she, she, she'll hover. I don't know why she's like, she's always hovering behind me. Like, if I'm making something, it's not like she's there to learn. Like, she's like, you ever watch NASCAR? Like, they come yeah. in, they, the cleanup crew, or they <laughs> yeah. change a the tire. Crew, yeah. That's her. <laughs> she's your big crew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I actually like, like, in the summertime, I like to grill a lot of stuff. Sometimes I like... I use my garage a lot. I have a refrigerator in my garage. I don't want people okay. to think I'm doing weird shit in my garage. Same but refrigerator. So I got you. like last year I cured salmon. Oh. So I got this whole like filet, like beautiful side of salmon. I cured it, put it in my refrigerator overnight. Next day, slice it up. It was, like I love to do like big projects like that. I love that. Like, you know, during the summer I used to grill a lot. You could actually turn your grill into a smoker, which a lot of people don't know. You make like little smoke bombs with wood chips, turn your grill on high, then you p- keep one side on and it's like you have a smoker. Yeah. So I smoke ribs. I do like to bake a lot, but you know what I think would be something that would surprise a lot of people? It's like I eat healthy a lot, which is surprised a lot of people. Like every day I have like a green drink, usually like it's an all natural green drink, MCT oil. That's how I start my day. Okay. So I do a lot of like, I like to be one of those fit chefs. Yeah, there you You go. You know, like when you spoke to me on the phone, I was in the Planet Fitness. There you go. I just want people to know I didn't get this athlete's figure. I thought you were lying. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. I really was in the plan of finished parking line, but I actually love eating salads. I love eating greens. I love eating like those grains. And like, I do love eating healthy. And I feel like in the last year or so, I always go for like the healthier thing on the menu. Like I want this grilled chicken or something like that. So I think that would surprise a lot of people, but do I still go out and have a steak and want a piece of fried chicken? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think everything's in moderation. I also just love food that, that is like very clean and makes you feel good. Yeah. So everyone jokes around that I eat salad all the time. I legit love eating salads. It's not like I do it for a healthy reason. I love, I crave vinegar, which is really weird. Mm. So I, sometimes I love like a nice house salad with like oil and That's balsamic. That's like the, the new thing, That's by it. the way. Vinegar is supposed to be like amazingly good for you now, especially but, apple cider vinegar. But Apple cider vinegar. Also, side note, if you're drinking apple cider vinegar, do you know you have to mix it with water because it'll eat away your anatomy? A- what is that called? An- anatomy, yeah. Whatever. I, I knew that. Or yes. you're enameling your teeth. An- yes. Yeah. You know, I'm not a dentist. I don't know these big <laughs> words. Just work with me. So um, I do like eating salads and stuff like that. I, but I just... I like food that makes you feel good on the inside, and it does. Yeah. You know. Speaking, look at that. So you're dropping knowledge bombs on us. Yeah. So MCT oil, green drink, salad. We're going to school with Chef Allison here. We're going yeah. to school. Speaking of knowledge bombs, your career has taken you into to an interesting space. You have, uh, as of the last couple of years, you've gotten on the main on the big stages. You're you're you are slowly and steadily becoming a force in the speaking world. I know. I also love a platform to speak because, like, majority of the time if I'm talking to somebody, it's about food. Uh So I'm talking about food in restaurants. That's what we're talking about. But I honestly have a lot of things to say. Like, I like to read books a lot. And when I say read books a lot, I mean I flip through the pages. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I love watching, like, documentaries, and I think a lot. I'm one of those people, like, you know, you ever see those memes where it's like I'm laying in bed and I think, like, Where's my birth certificate? Like type of things. Like I lay in bed, I think about random stuff. And I'm like, I wonder where I put that. I got that when I was nine. So like I think like I just love thinking about stuff and how, you know, I could be better. And like whatever I'm thinking about, I just like to share it because I feel like, you know, here I am. I never went to a university. I got kicked out of high school. My first one, I did graduate on time. 
Um, but I feel like I always felt like I was relatable and people like talking to me and well, I think people do. You do. So I like talking matters. to you for sure. And I think the listeners are enjoying this as well. You know, so I think also like you have somebody who's not fully where they want to be. Like I did a lot. I always say the best is yet to come. Well, mm-hmm. Celine Dion said that. I Now I say it too because Celine knows best. Um, so I feel like the best is yet to come in your career. And I feel like being you know, like 29 and there's so much more ahead of me and just like getting a chance to talk about my journey and what I believe in and talk about these real topics that maybe could help shape someone's life. Or maybe if you just say one sentence that could change somebody's, you know, the way they think, the way they act, or they want to become better, you know, because I was forever inspired by somebody I've never met, Rachel Ray, you know, I did end up meeting her, but you know, for somebody on the TV screen to make me say, I want to be her, you know, like, I feel like we go through our lives on a daily basis and we never go home at night and say, I wonder if I inspired somebody today. I feel like those are not questions we've ever asked. Like, do you ever ask yourself that? Like, did I inspire somebody today? Yeah. Well, as of late, because I'll tell you, you're, you're coming into an interesting place right now and you have such a head start honestly um because you you've been doing this for for a number of years now and you're you're in such a great place in terms of leadership right at 29 um me at 29 I'm 40 right now just turned 42 months ago um and it was really emotional for me turning 40 because I look back at the last 10 years of my life and I'm like shit man I did some some real good in this decade because I started 30 as a horrible human being started as, as a person that I just had looking back, I just have no respect for that person that I was. And, and I've talked about this on the show a number of times, but it was in a totally different industry. Um, only concerned about making money and bonuses and my success and my wealth and, and all that kind of bullshit that doesn't really matter in life. And it cost me everything. Mm-hmm. It cost me a marriage it cost me, you know, I have two kids from my first marriage and, um, left me in this place where I was just like, what the fuck happened? Like, where did I go wrong? And I sort of became introspective and looked back and I go, I'm not the person I'm supposed to be. Like, I'm not the person that I used to be. I don't even recognize this person looking in the mirror. And it was all just actions. It wasn't any kind of like drug related stuff, nothing like that. It was just like ego and, and just becoming this, this guy that uh, wasn't out to be of service to others. And so I made this active choice to change. I made this active choice to turn everything around and to start. And I started with just focusing on my family and building from there. And then it turned into focusing on my interpersonal relationships. It turned into focusing on my career. And then once the career took off, it turned into how can I help people with this career, with this business Mm -hmm. I've started. Um, And so it's taken me to these really, really fun places. I'll tell you that I didn't have some of the abilities in my 20s that I had in my 30s because you become more mature in your 30s. You, you Certain things matter more than they used to. Certain other things matter less than they used to. And so I feel like you're coming into this, pla- your, this place right now in your, in your 30s where you are just going to really do some really good shit because this is the time where, you know, you're young enough to, to – to, to, to really grind it out, right, and, and really um, get out there and just do all you can. You're smart enough now in your 30s where some of that old immaturity just goes away and you're smart enough to just make the right decisions. Um, you're experienced enough to know 
which of those decisions is right and which decisions are wrong. So I'm so excited for you going into this decade now because it's uh, it's really an incredible time, especially when you're at the position that you're at right now, to be able to do some some really cool stuff. And I, and I can't wait to watch you along this journey as you do these cool things. We'll probably do a f- several more things together, we George. We absolutely <laughs> will. And we talked about this, the, the tribe builds. Every yeah, it day. does. The tribe builds. If you are not out there as a leader – willing to help other people in order uh, to help them later on or for, for them to help you later on. That's yeah. what the tribe is all about, you know? Uh, and so I, I guarantee we'll do some stuff um, together coming up. We have done some stuff already. Uh, we talked about Allison's speaking career. Allison took the TEDx stage for the first time on September 7th, uh, uh, an event that I executive produced, TEDx Farmingdale, such a special event to me um, because at the time I was a two-time TEDx speaker already and I decided to bring Ted to my hometown of Farmingdale, mm-hmm. a place that I care so much about. And I had lofty goals for that event. I wanted that event to be super special. I wanted the right people to be there that were there for the right reasons. That was the most important mm-hmm. to me. I didn't want somebody that just wanted to put Ted on their resume. I wanted somebody that had something to say that mattered. And you gave a talk called Food at Everyone's Table, which talked about a really unique take on food waste. Um, and, and I was, I was so proud of what you did afterwards, especially for your first Ted talk, you killed it. You know, it was really, really good. Um, I want, I want to hear from you what that experience was like and what it's turned into since. I mean, that doing the Ted talk was actually a lot harder than I thought it was going to be because you're like, you have to memorize the whole speech. I was like, I didn't know that. Do you remember we talked on the phone? I was like, I didn't know. I thought it was going to read off the paper and So I feel like it was like a lot of work, but at the end, like, I feel like when everybody claps and it's over, that's like the best feeling in the world. Yeah. You know, so it was so much fun to do. And, you know, I never, I never did any public speaking before. Yeah. I mean, like, who would hire me to do public speaking? Only George would. (laughs) (laughs) So I think when you have a topic and it's like a purpose and you know about it and you could talk about it, that's my favorite. Yeah. So, you know, my speech was on food waste and how we can end hunger, which actually food waste and hunger go hand in hand because like why are we wasting when there's so many people that are hungry? Mm-hmm. Like all the food that we throw out every year, like whether it's in our homes or in our restaurants, those are food that we could be feeding people. Yeah. And I think the food waste actually takes place the most in people's homes, which you actually think about it. People throw a lot of food away every single year. Yeah. Um, so it's just like figuring out ways, what can we do about this so-called waste? Like, you know, we could use it as compost, you could donate it, you know, find local, you know, charities, whether you're, you know, donating by your time or your money, it's always important to, you know, help. And I also feel like it's not a restaurant problem. It's kind of like a world problem, you know, hunger and food waste. You know, so I feel like you don't have to be a chef to go out and feed people. Like, you could do that, you know, help feed your neighbor down the block. I feel like this is kind of a problem where everyone could almost pitch in. Yeah. You know, like, there's so many food banks out there. There's so many events throughout the whole year, whether it's, you know, Food Network and uh, does a event in New York City that helps No Kid Hungry, or, you know, you have City Harvest and... You know, so you have these events every year that, you know, the money goes to help charities and, you know, like give back. Yeah. So you don't have to be a chef to feed people. Yeah. Uh, and and it was really impactful uh, when we were editing the videos afterwards to submit to Ted for them to put on their YouTube channel. And by the way, we'll have this in the show notes, the link to this talk. Um, 
I remember watching it back and just being really proud of what you put out there and you know, just seeing a, a developing leader to me is so much fun. Um, seeing what kind of things are you're becoming passionate about besides food. Um, so I commend you on that. But I want to hear how has your life changed after the TEDx talk? Has it had any effect on you professionally? Uh, yeah, I think a lot of people have reached out because I think the people who know me, it was like a surprise to them that I was doing like this public speaking, like on such a big platform. So I think you're never too old or young to do something new. And I think that was something new for me. And I think a lot of people were impressed by it, especially one, me being a keynote speaker. I mean, that was comical to a lot of people. Um, also, I think I had to learn how to speak differently. I remember I, Jen called me up and she was just like, your problem is you talk really fast and you don't enunciate your words. And I was just like, okay. Yeah. I got it. And then, you know, she's, we were talking about this earlier. She's like my Amy Poehler and Mean Girls. Like, yeah. I'm a cool mom. She knows all the dance moves behind you. That's, <laughs> uh, that's Jen. Um, so I think I learned how to, you do have to talk differently you on do. a big stage. And I come from Brooklyn. We talk about a hand, with our hands and we move around a lot and I mispronounce words. And um, that's just, I was just like, I was like, okay, enunciate your words. There you go. You know, that's what you. I. <laughs> trained myself to do is enunciate some words um but i think a lot of people took notice and i got a lot of great reviews and feedback and some people were so proud of me and, and i think we were really excited when bobby flay posted our video yeah. do you remember that oh, that, that was, was awesome. pretty awesome that was so cool so and i saw the pride in that post which was really really cool yeah. shows me what kind of person you are um because even him professionally, I don't know the man personally, but when you kind of see him professionally, he really gives off a super authentic vibe. Yeah, he is. That's how he is all the time. That's how he is, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, and so so it was this this just proud, almost like a proud papa moment where yeah. you're kind of like, oh, wow, that's, you know. Yeah, and also to talk about, because I'm not the only chef that talks about food waste and hunger. You know, you have people like Jose Andres or, you know, Massimo Batoro, uh, yep. who, you know, take such pride and like education and like teaching people like what we could do about our food waste we need to feed people you know like and uh there's throughout the whole year there's events where chefs you know do an event money goes to charity so you know i'm not the only person that's talking about this i just decided to take that stage to educate people who wouldn't normally know about the crisis or what to do with food waste you know, like give them a different idea what to do. Because I think I think uh, somebody said to me, you know, I went home at night and I looked in my refrigerator and I just cried. And they told me that I think one of the things I said was do like a shared meal. Mm -hmm. And people like, I do a shared meal all the time. And I think it just, you know, changed the way some people think. And I feel like if I could just do that, like you were just saying how you could just change one person's life. Yep. That one makes a difference. And I think me getting that platform because i think if you're given a platform let's educate people let's inspire somebody let's use this platform as a purpose and my purpose was like educating people on what to do with the waste how can we handle it here's a story about two chefs that really stepped up to plate you know i just wanted to run do the journey and i, get, I think a lot of people don't realize hunger could face it, it could be anybody yeah yep you know so i think it was important for people to know this because it's one of those topics that we all could relate to mm -hmm. you know like whether you waste a lot of food in your homes or whether you know you know somebody that suffers from hunger or you know it's like a topic that 
everyone could be involved in. Yeah. You know, everyone could put their hand on the plate, and um, it's definitely a world problem. Yeah, for sure. You know? For sure. And that's really that's really what the goal was here. The theme of TEDx Farmingdale was fixing the world. 2019's theme was fixing the world, and uh, it was a big topic to tackle, and, and you, did a, you did a great job. And what TED does, TEDx Talks do, um, for people like yourself and people that are, are out there trying to build their following is it really legitimizes what you do. Um, I take, I really take to heart the importance of the TEDx stage, um, the, the mission of TED and what they're trying to do with these talks uh, as a representative, as an independent representative hosting my own event. Um, I want to make sure that I'm sticking to that mission and I'm making sure that these talks are as pure as possible. So you, you did a phenomenal job. Now that's led to quite a few other opportunities. Most recently, you actually keynoted the 2020 Athena Long Island Leadership Awards. Yes. Which was awesome. So we have uh, a, a mutual friend, my colleague, Jen Muccioli, um, does a lot of the work for this, for putting this together. Uh, it's an incredible event that honors, um, there's a leadership award and then there's a youth Yes. I forget what it's a young 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 leadership young yeah. leadership award. Yeah, don't quote me on the names, but um, and we'll actually put links to this on the show notes if they have the the pictures and any videos available for this. But you were asked to keynote this event, and even though I wasn't there, but I should have been. Jen. Jen. Damn it. Side note. Side note. Uh, I'm throwing you side eye right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard you did a phenomenal job, and not only did you do a phenomenal job, but you engaged every single person in that room, um, which is not an easy task because I know who's in that room. I yeah. know the, I know the <laughs> names in that room. That's a yeah. big, you're talking about Long Island in, in New York, um, some of the the biggest female leaders. No, out it's there true. Are in that room, like when they started like. Um, announcing like who would be like nominated who was nominated for award i remember the lady who actually won um she was like the president of adelphi christine reardon yep yes and then they were talking about like her like university and like she has a phd and i was clapping i was like she's the smartest person in the room right now (laughs) you know and then and she had this like outfit on and we were talking for a bit i was like whatever that outfit is I need that. <laughs> like she had an outfit on, like you knew she was somebody special. Yeah. Like she had this, she was like, it's just a coat. And I was like, I need that. <laughs> I was like, I wore the same shirt to everything I did because I didn't have anything else to wear. And then I was like, I want to watch Jeopardy with you because I feel like she would know all the answers. Yeah. That's what I told her. And she was like, I don't know if I'd be good at Jeopardy. I'm like, well, it's a date. We're watching Jeopardy. Um, but I feel like that was like a big room with like a lot of people. I remember thinking, I remember thinking, like, somebody didn't think this through. Like, why am I the keynote speaker? Like, all these people are coming in. And I was just like, this is, like, really big VIPs, women who are on top of the game. And then I know for me, like, I met up with Jen, and she was like, well, what do you want to talk about? Like, what's your theme in the speech? And for some reason to me, I just said, I wanted to be saying yes. Saying yes to opportunities, putting yourself out there. I'll talk a little bit about myself and – that was my topic, and the people clap, and I feel like it reached everybody. And been like when I was done with my speech, people coming up came up to me and wanted to take my photo. And they thought I was really cool. And our friend there uh, was there. A few, or a TEDx speaker was there. Remember, you were a little jelly. Yes, very jelly. Yeah. Uh, man, I wanted to be there next I year, know. maybe next year, but but you know, we'll see if I even want to come next year. We'll see. Okay, now you're gonna deny Jen's. Um, 
Well, and look, I am a, I'm a busy guy. I'm a very important person. Very I'm a busy guy. busy. We're going to set up a podcast next year on that day. Can't come. Yeah, exactly. My podcast is going to be the same day as Athena yeah. next year. Um, I want to talk about a specific moment there. So there was actually a very special guest there. Carol Silva, legendary yes. veteran news anchor from News 12 Long Island, um, who was our guest uh, in the weeks prior to um, the Athena Awards. She had an amazing episode that we wound up turning into a two-part episode. It's episode 105 and 106. So go back and check this out, guys, on uh, on Apple Podcasts and everywhere podcasts are available. Um, two-parter entitled A Christmas Carol. And oh, that's a cute name, yeah, George. Yeah. I do good names. I do yeah. good, good names. That's what I'm about. I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm the namer. <laughs> I'm the namer. Um, and so Carol's episode was so incredible. And we had our guest co-host that day was Jen Muccioli. And Jen and Carol uh, uh, exchanged info. Jen invited Carol to the Athena Awards, which she definitely deserved to be at. Mm-hmm. And what, from what I heard was when you finished your speech, she was so moved. She stood up and walked over to you and gave you a big hug. Yes, she did. Tell me about that moment. So, like, I was walking up the stage, and Carol gets right off her seat and, like, runs up and gave me a hug. And I was just like, this is the sweetest moment, yeah. Carol. Like, yeah. she's like a, you know, TV legend and so sweet, so nice. And of course, she was gorgeous. Yeah. She's so pretty. And I, she, her just giving me a hug. And, like, I feel like sometimes, like, I remember giving the speech. I was like, I hope it, like, I didn't know what was going to move people or what people were going to think. I was just like, let me go out there. Tell my speech, you know, a few people laughed, and it was just like a great time, and Carol running up and giving me a hug was fantastic. Yeah. Um, Let me ask you, do you have a new respect for women in leadership after keynoting that conference? Oh, yeah, because, you know, I think women do this thing where, like, we're going to stick together, like, no matter what your profession is, like, you you go, girl, you know, and... um, so I think it was, I was like, let's do another speech. Like I'm, I looked at Jen, I was like, we're taking this on tour. Coming to a it. college campus near you. And you pretty much are. You pretty we're much are. We're going on tour. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, we talked about this before. You're turning 30 at the end of the month. Yeah, the 27th. What's next for Allison? Uh, I think a lot of big stuff. You always have big stuff in the works. You know, people always like, what are you doing next? And I'm like doing this, you know, doing a TV show and, you know, I'm like, NBD. No big deal. You know, so, but turning like 30 is not, um, I'm, uh, to me, it's just like turning another birthday. I do have tickets to go see Celine Dion, March 3rd, NASA Coliseum. So if anybody's watching or listening, if you could get me a meet and greet, that would be great. I do have 12th row if you could get me closer to. Or if Celine's listening, please beef up the security. Okay. <laughs> pretty <laughs> accurate. Um, so, yeah, the, that's one time I had a birthday party. I remember two people came. I was one of them, and we went bowling. <laughs> My 40th birthday party was bowling. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Oh, we had a great time. I feel like bowling, you ever do something, and you don't realize how fun it is to do it, and you you say this, like, we need to do this more often. I feel like bowling's that thing. Yeah, for sure. Bowling's that one thing where you're like, I got to do this more often. Yeah. You in know? fact, I had to entertain like 40 people that were there because I walked in for the surprise. My wonderful wife threw the party for me. It was this bowling alley bar place. Um, and I had to like see people I haven't seen in a while and entertain and, you know, make conversation. I'm like, I just want to fucking bowl. Yeah. You're like, all right, everybody <laughs> to the lane. I couldn't even put bowling shoes on. I wound up bowling in my regular shoes. Uh, you probably bowl. Bowl twice. You're yeah. like, I just, everybody, all right, everybody, to your lanes. Yeah, that's exactly Stay what Stay in your lane. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
This is awesome. Uh, I want to I want to real quick touch on uh, Spark leadership moments and balance. So we've talked about quite a number of these Spark moments that you've had um, in your life, and really, I want people to understand with these moments that you don't necessarily realize when you're in the moment when you're having a pivotal moment, but you should definitely be observant. And be ready for those spark moments because sometimes as long as you kind of take note of, hey, this happened today, it, it could be 10 years down the line that you look back and you go, shit, you know, that taught me something or that that was a, that was a really big moment of change in my life. So uh, I, it was lovely to hear about all these, these moments in your life that sort of led you down this path of leadership. Um, but we can't have leadership uh, without balance. At least that that's my theory. Um, for me... You know, I went on this big journey in my life, and when everything finally started falling into place, I started finally realizing who the authentic George was, um, balancing those different areas of my life, balancing the father, the husband, uh, the business owner, the the public speaker, the you know everything I do, um, balancing the the community leader, and sort of turning that all into one life, balancing everything and making sure it's all a part of your life, but none of it is, mm. you know, more important than another, except of course, the, the stuff at home, the family stuff. Um, what does balance mean to you? I mean, I always think that it's important to find time for stuff, whether it's like going out with your friends or, you know, doing like an event or like a podcast or a TV show. I feel like if you really want to do something or if you are really passionate about something, you find time to do that. Yeah. You know, like, it's always important for me to catch up with my friend. Like, there's my friend Rachel. We, like, meet up every week and chat and go out. I feel like me making time for her, it's, like, most important. Like, let's go out and chat, and we build each other up. So I feel like there's always time. Like, when people say there's not enough time, I'm like, there is. You have to, I mean, you have to make time. Or when you send somebody, like, a message or, like, you're telling me you didn't see that message for 12 hours. Right. I mean, you saw it. I mean, so for me, no matter how busy I am, I always pick up my phone when somebody calls me or a text message, or if I miss your phone call, I literally call you back right away. So I feel like we all have time. It's like, I feel like there's no excuse for not having time. You know, you should always answer your phone when somebody calls you or reply back. And, um, yep. you know, there's always time. So make time for people. I love that. Do you have balance right now? Yeah, my life is always... I also, you know what really helps me, it's really bizarre, is I'm a really relaxed person all the time. You are. You're pretty relaxed. All You're almost the like on the borderline of comatose and, and awake. That's actually... <laughs> like right now... You're like, I'm all, I threw her off, guys. <laughs> I'm actually always relaxed. And people say, are you always like this? I'm like, yeah. Like I'm just very... I'm like, whatever's happening, it's fine. You do. I get a very Fix good it. vibe I'm from you. I'm always very calm. That's good. But I wasn't like always like that. Like I remember like starting out working in restaurants. I was like always like nervous Nelly. Like I didn't want to do anything. I would like panic inside. I think I just learned everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Like I'm very calm. And I also like I think it's about knowing yourself. Sure. So I noticed like if I, let's say, was working in a restaurant and I messed up on something, I'm one of those people, you know, when you have a like downfall after that, like yeah. you mess up on one thing. So I realized that's... It's like dominoes after that, yeah. No, it's true. So I realized that's how I was. So I used to, like, I just, like, you know, you have to talk yourself through stuff. Like, it'll be okay. One thing at a time. I got this. So I think that's what I've learned. I'm very calm all 
the time. I love it. So love if it. you're ever like in a situation you want to be in it with Manly, be like, it's okay. Call Allison. This is this is what's happening. Call Allison, guys. We're gonna put her cell phone number in the show notes too. Her yeah. mom's number too. Home address. I don't so think she you her number. Want, okay. <laughs> I don't think you might want my mom's number. I can't. Can't promise you anything. Either. All right. You know what time it is. Time for the big three, guys. Uh oh. The big three from the launch cast. Big three. It is your top three moments for everything that I'm going to list here. You ready? Okay. Rapid fire. Get them okay. off to me. Jeez. All right. Not that rapid fire. I don't okay. want to stress yet. Let's go back into calm, Allison. Okay. Mode. We're comatose. We, didn't, we never left that space. Ready? Yeah. Top three meals to cook. Uh, one pasta, like Pomodoro Fresco. Um, I'm very simple. This pasta, tomato, basil, a little bit spicy. That's my favorite thing. Mm. It's so easy. It's just delicious. Um, I also really love making bread, like focaccia or something. So bread, because I think the yeast is so like therapeutic. Mm-hmm. Like I could just like roll bread all day, score it. Uh, bread, and also it's kind of like in the same topic of breadish, but I do love making pizza, mm. like dough and everything. We make a pizza every Friday, by mm. the way. My son is allergic to everything. Oh. And so Pizza Fridays, we make him his own while we all get takeout pizza. And uh, it's fun making pizza. It is fun making, especially if you make the dough and you stretch it out. Yeah. I mean, yes. So yeah. basically, we stuck with everything Italian. So pasta, bread, and pizza. Perfect. Heard. All the healthy stuff. Healthy. Uh, now let's go to the unhealthy stuff and the fun stuff. Top three snacks. What does really? Allison snack on? Um, bananas. I'm not a joke. I could eat bananas all the time. So I do eat bananas because I do tell you that I like healthy stuff. Yep. I never, I'm not a big snacker, which is the problem. But I do have to say that if I have to pick, I don't do these very often, so I don't want people to think I do, but I love salt and vinegar potato chips. Okay. Um, You're allowed. Thank you. And then um, Twix. Okay. We got so it. So if got I three. have to pick, but I eat the bananas the most, and then, like, maybe I'll have a potato chip. I don't actually okay. go out. Like, in my house, I don't have potato chips or candy. Or, I really don't. All right. But if I have to pick. We're not judging. If I'm in the mood. Top three places to eat. Oh, in general? In general. Um, Young Joni, Minneapolis, Minnesota. When I was there, I ate there five times. Mm. And actually, Ann Kim, who won the James Beard Award this year uh, for her restaurant, uh, she's an incredible chef. Food there is delicious. Very elbows on the table. Minneapolis is actually my favorite food city. Mm. So Young Joni, Minneapolis, fact. Don't skimp out. You have to get the barbecue Korean pizza. Knocks my It knocked my socks off the first time I ever had it. So Man. Young Joni's won. Uh, St. Anselm in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Uh, everything is always perfectly cooked, perfectly seasoned. It's a small place. If they open up five, get there at five. Never had a ba- bad meal there. Perfectly cooked, perfectly seasoned. Delicious. Also, I have to go with another restaurant in Williamsburg is a restaurant called Missy, which is Missy Robinson's uh, restaurant. She is a J- another James Beard award-winning chef. She has two restaurants in Williamsburg. Mm-hmm. Uh, Missy is a gorgeous restaurant. She does antipasti, pasta, and then they have gelato. So that's what she does there. It's a gorgeous restaurant. You could sit right at, you know, the kitchen counter and don't skimp out on the gelato. The pistachio gelato will, again, knock my socks off. Done. Yeah, so those are my three favorite um, restaurants. 
top three women in the food industry right now? Uh, I'm going to go with my friend, Elizabeth Faulkner, um, who has one of the biggest hearts I know. She always wants everybody to be involved. She's always helping people out. I love working uh, with Elizabeth. We've done the Palm Beach Food and Wine, Pebble Beach, uh, the Pebble Beach Food and Wine as well. Um, Also, I love Nancy Silvington, who has uh, three restaurants out in L.A. Again, James Beard Award winning chef. Um, I just love how Nancy, she becomes obsessed with food. Like when she made uh, pizza for the first time. Like, she just, like, if you just add, like, one tablespoon of brown sugar, and her pizza recipe is almost anti-Italian, but, uh-huh. you know, people always just talk about Nancy's pizza. You know, so she becomes obsessed with food. And if you have Netflix, you have to watch Nancy's chef, uh, her chef table on Netflix. Um, also, I'm going to have to go with uh, Dominique Krem, who has several restaurants out in uh, California as well. She has, you know, first female chef to have like a three Michelin star restaurant. Also, she this, you know, announced last year she does have breast cancer and she's battling that. Just opened up another restaurant. I mean, so she's pretty badass and you know she's doing really well now. That you know I see her on social media. I've never met her before or Nancy, but I just really adore those two. And maybe someday I will. Very cool. Two more. Top three female heroes. Wow. That's the big one. I would have to go with, uh, oh, I've never even got asked this question or thought about this. Can I go with Rachel Ray? Because Boom. she's my hero. Rachel Ray, I knew it was going to be on there. <sighs> okay. Let's think about this. Julia Child. Mm. Hello. Yes, Julia Child. I feel like she really knocked that barrier down. and she, yeah, she I did. think I think she sent some message to everybody because, like, her career started really late in life. Um, so I feel like no matter how old you are, you're never too old to start something new. And then who else would I have to say? I feel like I've never gotten asked this question. It's so funny. The James Beard Award for best question goes to me. Oh, my God. I've ne- yes, I've never thought, thought about this question. That's very interesting. You can give me two. It's fine. Oh, maybe. I, would ha- I don't know. I'll allow it. Okay. I can't really... I'm sure there's so many people that I could think of. Like, I'm going to leave here and be like, oh, I should have said this person. Yeah, yeah so two. And this whole interview is now a failure, guys. Thank you Gosh. for joining us. Complete failure. Well, I think, you know, a hero is actually, I would have to go with, let's put Elizabeth Faulkner in this category, too. Okay. I think Elizabeth, Done. Elizabeth could float in a whole bunch of different categories. Because I think she, she's the one that always, like, she's like the voice. Like, if you're at a speech and there's a mic floating around, let's just give, give the mic to Elizabeth. She has yeah. like really important things to say. I love listening to her speak and she like, she's all for building women up and she, you know, dealt with that whole being a female chef and get to these hard questions. I want to like give the mic to Elizabeth. She'll answer all these yeah. questions. You yeah. Know? One more top three favorite feelings in the world. That's a, such a strange question. Um, You're welcome. Like feelings, like emotions? Is that what this? Like feelings, like the. I don't want to give you an answer. Okay. I'll. I'll. Um. Oh, like when I'm the rare times this happens when I'm watching TV with my kids and I get like a head on the shoulder, like leaning in on me. That's one of my favorite feelings. Yeah. Wow. 
You really stumped Allison with this question. I'm like, I got nothing. Um, I do have a dog. His name's Coco, right? And mm -hmm. I love Coco. I'm also a really big dog person. So I'm like, that was one that those people who cry when they see that sad commercial. Yeah. It's me. So like sometimes, you know, my dog comes and he just sits right on top of me. That's mm -hmm. my favorite. And he's also like less than 10 pounds. So because I'm like, he, and he was also like a rescue. So I feel like in the first time in his life, he feels love. Okay. What kind of you dog? Know, he's a Chihuahua Yorkie. Oh, we have a Chihuahua. So he's really small. We have a Chihuahua Dachshund. So he's a small guy. Max. Um, I think the feeling of finishing something, mm. like whether it's a speech or a TV show or, you know, whatever you're doing when you're done, like because you have that all that build up, right? You're like whether you're nervous or you're excited or you're like, oh, I don't I hope I don't mess up. I think the feeling of finishing something. Love that. You know, like the TED talk when everybody clapped. I know the feeling very well. Yeah. And all your hard work's over and you're like, let's eat. Or yeah. whatever you're going to do after yeah, 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 your yeah. big moment. Like doing a TV show, walking out the door. Like I did that. Yeah. You know. Um, Can I tell you something? The side, side note on that is I know that feeling very well. I love that feeling. I have sort of transformed how that feeling works on me. I don't necessarily feel it after the fact anymore. I've channeled that into the beginning now. So now no, you're at, yeah, I guess I did that. Now I now I the, the feeling at the end is like the satisfaction, not the relief feeling. It's the satisfaction of like I did a good thing. Um, so it's a little bit different. It's less energy, but I've channeled that that nervous energy into the beginning. Like before I walked out into the TEDx Farmingdale stage to do my opening remarks, I was like jumping around like I'm a basketball player hyping myself up for a game. Hmm. Like, you know what I mean? And that's that's all there in the beginning. And I found that when I do that before I do something, I bring the energy into what I'm doing, yeah. which is cool. So um, do we have one more? Uh, yeah. I think getting a compliment, whether like sometimes hmm. people say like, it's not only like you look nice, so that type of compliment, but it's like someone looks at you and says, you know why I think people like you? Because you're relatable. Like those type of, yeah. this is why this compliment. Because like sometimes we need somebody else to say something like that because I'm like, oh, I never thought about that. Like I never thought I was relatable. I never thought that, you know, strangers like talking to me. Like I just look, when an outside person tells you something about yourself that you never noticed before, and you're like, huh. Does it have to be about your character or like are you the type of person gets offended if somebody says like, oh, you look pretty today or something like that? Um, I don't really. It takes a lot to offend me. I'm okay. always like, okay, whatever. Right. You know, that's I'm a very relaxed person. Um, but I think it could be about anything really. You know, like sometimes like doing the TV shows, people reach out to you who you have like never met before. And I'll get people, like, this week my CHOP episode re-aired, and somebody's like, you're still the pasta princess. Or, like, for somebody to take their time out of the day to write me a message we've never met before, to write me something inspiring, I feel like that's pretty awesome. Yeah. I don't know if that's considered in the compliments category, but I guess it is. Sure, of course. You know, so. Well, it's a compliment they respect you enough to, you know, thank you for what you're doing. Yeah, especially, yeah. like, somebody I've never met before saying, like, I like that you said this, or I love that you were... You know yourself, or you're the pots apprentice, or people like you too. were so funny. I love that too. You That's know? one of my favorite feelings as well, yeah. for sure, because uh, it gives you that feeling that you you did some good. Yeah. You know, you helped that feeling. Um, man, we did it. 
I'm gonna do this. You know what this means? Uh oh. We're done. We did We're it. We're done. And we scene. killed it. Great job. Uh, thank you for being here. This was uh, awesome. This is so much fun. Like, uh, I'll just come back once a week. I'll fill you. Absolutely. <laughs> That's it, guys. Another episode of the Launchcast is in the can right now. I want to thank my guest, Chef Allison Fasano, for being here. Thanks. Remember, I just play a chef on TV, folks. Chef, <laughs> TV personality, keynote speaker, wonderful person, Brooklynite. Yeah. Chef Allison Fasano. Uh, thanks for being here. This was great. Thanks so much. You rock. Uh, guys, follow us on social media at the Launchcast Show, at Launchpad CEO, wherever you got to find us. Uh, check out our podcast every single Monday at 6 a.m. We come out with our new episodes and we go live also once a week on a different day every week. Um, what else? I got nothing else to plug. You? You got anything going on? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> That was so sad. You got anything going on? No. <sighs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I'm one of those people I think about it afterwards. You know, you have to just, you know, follow us on the social platforms. Yeah. You know, we like to keep the peoples up to date. We're going to put all of those links on the show notes. Um, Allison's got some cool stuff happening. So as stuff happens, we'll also update on, on all of our guests' uh, happenings on our social media as well. But definitely follow her. Follow her career. She's doing some incredible stuff. Guys, we'll see you later. Another episode of the LaunchCast. Thanks. Launch sequence terminated. Into the black hole. Thanks for listening to the LaunchCast today. Please make sure to subscribe to this feed wherever podcasts are available. Follow me, George Andriopoulos, at LaunchpadCEO on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And make sure to visit our website, guys, thelaunchcast.com. Looking forward to the next episode. See you soon, guys.